Welcome to Back to the Basics with Pastor Jason McClendon. This program is sponsored by Crossroads Christian Fellowship, a non-denominational, conservative, and evangelical church focusing on returning to the mindset of believers in the New Testament church. The acronym BASICS, in the name of the program, stands for Believing and Sharing in Christ's Salvation. We are disciples making disciples who make disciples. And now, here is the message. Hello and welcome to Crossroads Christian Fellowship. The topic of the message today is the real Jesus. Who was he or who is he and what is he really like? But first, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for everything you give us every day, all day, all the time. Thank you for all of these blessings. We ask that you allow us to see the blessings you give us and to recognize you working around us so that we may join in. We ask that you guide us to do the things you want us to do. We ask that you give us the desire to study your word so that we can learn more about you, who you are, and how you want us to be in relationship with you. All of this we ask in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So again, the message topic today is, who is the real Jesus? Well, the short answer is that he is the central figure in all of human history. He is the most important person to have ever walked on the face of the earth. In fact, if you look at a calendar, you will see that, at least right now, we're in the year 2021. I say right now because you might be listening to this uh, this message a couple years from now in the recording. But right now, as this message is being preached, we're in the year 2021. The year we live in is based on the life of Jesus Christ. Specifically, being in 2021 A.D., the A.D. part stands for Anno Domini, which in Latin means in the year of our Lord. A.D. is actually the shortened version of the full phrase, which is Anno Domini Nostri Jesu Christi, which translates to in the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we study history and we read a date, Human history is generally separated by B.C. and A.D. B.C. stands for before Christ. So we have before Christ and in the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is how history is categorized for most of the world. Now, in recent years, people who don't believe in Jesus and who try to take Jesus out of everything have begun targeting this dating system with the intent to change the B.C. and A.D. to new terms of B.C.E. and C.E. B.C.E. stands for Before the Common Era, and C.E. stands for the Common Era. The common era, however, still begins at the same time that Anno Domini begins, which is based around the life of Jesus Christ. So even with these changes, our dating system for the entire world still revolves around the advent of Jesus. I witness to people as often as I can, and I often have encounters where I speak to people who have a completely twisted view of who Jesus is. A few days ago, I was wearing a ball cap that said, Jesus is the only way. And I had a man I was standing near comment on it, which, of course, opened up a conversation. 
He explained to me that he is a Christian, but he wanted to make sure that I knew he respected all religions equally, and he is not a religious snob. Those were actually his words. Of course, me being me, I asked for further elaboration on what he meant. He explained to me that he believes followers of all religions go to heaven as long as they are good people. I asked him what he thought Jesus meant in John 14, 6, when he said he is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to the Father. In other words, no one gets to heaven except through Jesus Christ. His answer was that even though he is a Christian, he doesn't believe that Jesus is the only way. He believes that Jesus didn't actually say that, and that Jesus, because of his nature of being loving, could not have said that. His nature is love, and since he loves everyone, he would never exclude anyone from heaven. Friends, this man is following someone named Jesus, but this is not the Jesus of the Holy Bible. And unfortunately, this perspective is actually pretty common. There are also other religions who claim to be Christian, but they are not following the Jesus of the Holy Bible. For example, Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe in the Trinity. They believe that Jesus is actually the Archangel Michael who was created by God and was God's first creation. To them, Jesus is not God with a big G, but in their scriptures, which they call the New World Translation, they describe Jesus as a God with a little g. Mormons from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints also believe that Jesus is a God with a little g, not the God with a big G. And they believe that Jesus was once a mortal man on an earth, just like this earth, and he earned his way to Godhood. But here's the kicker. In their belief, God the Father again, according to Mormon theology, was also once a mortal man on an earth just like this, and he too earned his way into becoming a god and creating his own world in which we live. They believe that if they are good Mormons, they too can become gods and start their own worlds. Clearly, the Jesus Christ of these religions is not the Jesus Christ of the Bible. But these people are sincere in their beliefs, When was the last time you've seen or heard of a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon missionary doing their work? Probably pretty recently. And interestingly enough, I've been personally contacted by both a Jehovah's Witness and a Mormon missionary within the last week, both trying to share their religion with me. And by the way, I love those conversations because it gives me the opportunity to share the actual gospel with them. So here, though, we have missionaries who sincerely believe what they are preaching even though they're wrong, and they are preaching lies much more often than most actual Christians are willing to preach the truth. That is a problem for me, and I hope it's a problem for you too. And then, of course, there are many people who simply believe that Jesus didn't even exist. Now, that's just foolish. If someone believes that, they aren't even trying to get the truth, because any reliable historian will tell you that a man named Jesus Christ, who claimed to be the Messiah, lived and was crucified by the Romans at the beginning of the first century, which resulted in a number of followers spreading his teachings. Of course, a lot of people don't believe in the resurrection, but they believe Jesus certainly existed and was executed. Dr. Bart Ehrman, who is one of the leading atheists of today, and by the way, he's a professor of religious studies at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, argues vehemently in his book, Did Jesus Exist?, that Jesus did, in fact, exist. 
Now listen, when one of the world's leading atheists argues that Jesus existed and then provides a significant amount of extra-biblical evidence, you probably ought to listen. So let's just answer the question as to his existence is yes, and stop right there, because it's really a no-brainer. The next question then, of course, is whether or not Jesus was divine. Some people believe that he might have existed, but not have been divine. Some think he was just a great teacher and never claimed to be God. They say that's something that developed long after he died. But here's the problem. He was executed precisely because he claimed to be God. There is ample, not only biblical, but extra biblical evidence for that as well. The Jewish historian Josephus and the Roman Tacitus and many others. Now, I just want to say real quick that I absolutely believe the biblical record to be true. But for those who do not, the extra biblical records may help, especially since these were records that were not written in favor of Jesus, but rather against him and his followers. They clearly indicate that he performed miracles, but they said that he was performing magic that he got from the devil. The record shows something else that is very interesting. The apostles and many thousands of other people literally went to their deaths by execution, proclaiming that they had seen the risen Lord. They refused to recant. All they had to do was recant their stories and it would save their lives. But they refused. They knew that they were going to their deaths, many of them quite violently, such as crucifixion, being torn apart by lions, getting their heads chopped off, being stoned to death, and many other ways. Why? Because it was true. They had seen the risen Lord. Think about it like this. If you knew something was a lie, would you be willing to go to your death proclaiming it? Or maybe just recant the lie? Would you die for a lie? What about the truth? Would you die for the truth, especially something as important as this? All of this is extremely important in recognizing who the real Jesus is. But what was Jesus actually like? This is also part of who the real Jesus is. He was loving and compassionate. He healed the sick and he fed the hungry and he told his followers to do the same. He was obedient. He knew the scripture and he obeyed it. He never sinned. He knew the Father's will, and he obeyed it. He was merciful and forgiving. Even while dying on the cross, after having been humiliated and tortured, he asked the Father to forgive those who had humiliated, tortured, and were literally in the act of murdering him. He was honest. He never told a lie. And he was always willing to share the truth, even when he knew that he would be called a liar and a deceiver and that he would be arrested and eventually crucified. And he was gentle. In Matthew 21.5, which describes the prophecy of Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem, it says, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey. I talk to a lot of people who have this view of Jesus as the lamb, someone who is gentle and kind all the time. And he absolutely was the lamb, and he was gentle and kind, but not all the time. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible certainly is a lamb, but he is also the lion. He was absolutely loving in everything he did and everything he said, but he was quite often not so gentle about the way he said it. Just because something is done in love does not mean it has to be gentle. Jesus didn't care who he offended because he spoke the truth. He probably didn't go out of his way to offend people, 
But I'm sure he also didn't go out of his way to soften his words. Remember, it is loving to tell the truth. Sometimes we have to get loud and angry while doing so, but that's okay. Getting angry for the right reasons, or let's just call it righteous reasons, in other words, for the same reasons that Jesus would get angry, is okay. Being angry for righteous reasons is not in, it's not sin in itself, but we do have to be careful to not sin while we are angry. That popular phrase, what would Jesus do, is always appropriate. How would he respond, or what would he say to people? So let's look at a few examples of what Jesus told people and, and what he did. In Luke 29, I'm sorry, Luke 9, 23, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. 9:26, Luke 9:26, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the son of man will be ashamed of him. Luke 10, 10, when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its street and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this. The kingdom of God is near. It will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Now, ladies and gentlemen, in case you need a reminder, Sodom was completely destroyed by fire from heaven. In Luke eleven forty-two to 52, Jesus says, Woe to you six Times. Now, woe is a condition of deep suffering. Jesus is telling them that they will suffer greatly if they don't change their ways. And then he gives them examples of what it is that they're doing wrong. In Luke chapter 12, 49 to 53, Jesus says, I have come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He tells us twice, just from Luke chapter 13, verses 3 through 5, unless you repent, you will perish. In Luke 13, 17, after addressing the leader of the synagogue and calling the Pharisees hypocrites in front of a synagogue full of people, it says, when he said this, all of his opponents were humiliated. When Jesus was approached by the rich young ruler and asked how to obtain eternal life, the story can be found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus ended up telling him to sell everything he had and to follow him. Jesus isn't telling all of us to do that, but he might tell you to do that. We all need to be willing to follow him no matter the cost, which will be different for different people. But in this case, specifically Matthew 19.22, it simply says, When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus didn't try to argue with him or convince him or tell him to just give away part of his wealth. He just let him walk away. Then he turned to his disciples and he said in Matthew 19, 23, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. How do you think he responded when people insulted God by using the temple as a place for exchanging money and selling animals rather than for worship? Let me read John chapter 2, verses 13 to 16. 
When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove them all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? This is not exactly a picture of a gentle Jesus. Rather, this is a clear example of righteous anger. He was using a whip and flipping over tables. And it wasn't sin because it was righteous. And by the way, in Matthew's account of this event, it occurs just seven verses after having described Jesus as being gentle. Because he was gentle when it was appropriate, but he was fierce when it was needed. Now let's let's look back into Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 11 through 16, which describes Jesus when he returns. It says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Brothers and sisters, this is not the gentle Jesus in whom so many people believe. And who is he coming for? From Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. The cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars. Their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Let me be absolutely clear that Jesus absolutely loves us, every single one of us. That's why he came here and died for our sins, so that we could accept his gift and spend eternity with him. But truly loving someone means sharing the truth, not telling them that whatever they believe is okay, and they get to make their own truth, which could be different from what Jesus said. One of the key words that comes to mind when people talk about how Christians should act or speak towards other religions and towards non-Christians is the word tolerance. The definition from dictionary.com of tolerance is a fair, objective, and permissive attitude towards those whose opinions, beliefs, practices, racial or ethnic origins, etc. differ from one's own. Freedom from bigotry, interest in and concern for ideas, opinions, practices, etc. foreign to one's own. A liberal, undogmatic point of view. Folks, as a Christian, I cannot accept someone else's religious belief if it is anything other than Christ crucified. As a Christian, I cannot have a permissive attitude towards a religious belief that is anything other than Christ crucified. As a Christian, I must be dogmatic about my beliefs, so I cannot have a liberal, undogmatic viewpoint. The word dogmatic has in recent years become somewhat of a negative word because it means to strongly stand for something you believe in above everything else. 
Going back to the dictionary.com definitions, the definition of dogma is an official system of principles or tenets concerning faith, morals, behavior, etc. as of a church, a specific tenet or doctrine authoritatively laid down as by a church, prescribed doctrine proclaimed as unquestionably true by a particular group, a settled or established opinion, belief, or principle. Brothers and sisters, the entire gospel of Jesus Christ is dogma. Dogma is not a bad word. And in fact, I would argue that if you are not dogmatic about your Christian beliefs, you probably aren't even a Christian. If you don't wholeheartedly believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, then you haven't met one of the only two requirements for salvation, which are belief in the gospel and repentance of your sin. Jesus was not tolerant, and neither should we be. But let's also not confuse being intolerant with being rude or mean. Jesus wasn't rude or mean. He just simply spoke the truth. Sometimes he offended people, and he didn't care because he spoke the truth. If they were offended, he told them to change their ways, to repent. He didn't say he would stop preaching the truth. He did make it very clear in Matthew 10, 14, for example, that if someone doesn't welcome you or your words about the gospel, we are to leave that town or that home and shake the dust off of our feet. In other words, we shouldn't fight with them or argue with them or put them down, and we certainly shouldn't torture people to convert them like the Catholic Church during the Inquisition. We simply share the gospel. We tell them about the good news. We have to explain that the good news only exists because there is bad news without Jesus. With Jesus, you have good news. Without Jesus, you have bad news. But we have to tell the full truth. We have to be loving about it and gentle when appropriate, which is most of the time. But it is biblically okay to get angry when people are spreading lies about God or about salvation. We don't respond with violence, but neither do we tolerate lies. We offer the truth, and we allow the other person or people to accept it or reject it. But we have to share the truth. What would Jesus do? What will you do? Let's pray. Father, again, thank you. Please help us to better understand how you want us to share the gospel, to respond to those who don't want to hear it, and to respond to those who spread lies about you. Allow us to recognize you working around us and show us how to join you. All of this we ask in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Friends, I sincerely hope that you are already a follower of Jesus. But if you are not, you need to know that the Bible makes it absolutely clear that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. We are all sinners and we all need Jesus. None of us can do it on our own. When we die, we will either go to heaven or to hell. But the ability to spend eternity in heaven is a free gift from God. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Because he loved us so much, Jesus paid the penalty of death for our sins. He paid the price with his own blood, which means that we don't have to. That gift is free, and to receive it, 
all you have to do is recognize that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. Confess your sins to God. Repent of your sins. In other words, you have to turn away from them and turn your life over to Jesus, asking Him and allowing Him to be the Lord of your life. Remember, just because you repent and make Jesus your Lord does not mean you will instantly become perfect. But you do need to strive to model your life after Jesus. There are no magic formulas or special prayers to become a Christian. Just make it known to God. Just tell Him. He knows what's in your heart. Now, if you've made the decision to dedicate your life to Christ, which is often referred to as being born again, or if you've made the decision to rededicate your life to Christ, please let us know. Go to IamSavedByJesus.com and tell us about your decision. We'd love to hear from you, and we'd love to know if we can help you along the way. If you haven't made that decision yet, please pray about it, and we'll pray for you too if you let us know. This is the most important decision you can ever make in your entire life. It only takes a few seconds to decide, but the ramifications of your choice are literally eternal. Take it seriously. Remember, go to IamSavedByJesus.com, and we look forward to hearing from you. God bless. Ladies and gentlemen, as you know, running a ministry is not free. There are many costs associated with developing and running programs, and we humbly ask for your support, especially if our messages have touched your heart or you believe they will touch the hearts of other people. We ask that you first pray about how God wants you to proceed, and then, if you feel led, help us focus on building the kingdom of God. If you are a Christian and you are not tithing anywhere, please consider tithing to us or consider gifting to us, however God leads. Remember, the money you have is God's money that He blessed you with to manage and to be a good steward. The money you tithe and gift to us builds the ministry of Crossroads Christian Fellowship and the International College for Christian Studies. The more financial support we receive, the more people we can reach. You can make this monthly contribution or one-time gift through PayPal by going to donationforchurch.com. You can also find other ways to donate on that webpage. Thank you in advance for your support, and may God bless you. Well, it's almost time to go. Thank you for sharing this time with us. We are praying regularly for you and ask that you do the same for us. Until we come together again, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His face towards you and give you peace. Go now into the world and serve the Lord. Amen.